0: John Stewart is back at the Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on the Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: He came straight out of Compton, brought the sound of the inner city to suburbia with an unrivaled ear for hooks, grooves, and melodies. Dr. Dre put gangster rap on the pop charts. With group NWA, Dre and his fellow members were an explosive success, feeding off the controversies they ignited. After parting with the group, Dr. Dre went on to build an empire with the most notorious man in the music business, Suge Knight. Dre's outrageous persona was a career asset, but when the line between image and reality blurred, people started getting hurt. He was the Prince of the Hood, indulging all his vices. But soon, Dr. Dre found himself staring down the barrel of a gun. Dre survived the gunshots, but then he suffered a wound that would never heal when he lost his brother to the violence of the streets. But when his partying and gangsta lifestyle got out of control, Dr. Dre ultimately had to face his conscience in the confines of a jail cell. Now. The rise, fall, and redemption of hip-hop's most enduring maestro, Dr. Dre. The story behind the music.
2: Dr. Dre and N.W.A. stormed onto the music scene in 1988 like a vision out of the ultimate American nightmare.
3: They terrified white America, they terrified
4: bourgeois black people, and they even terrified some of us who were from the ghetto.
2: They rose out of South Central Los Angeles and rapped with a ferocity that had never been heard before.
3: Just in your face. It was everything
4: that people were afraid of and didn't necessarily want on records. We didn't care what people said. If you don't like it, don't buy it.
2: With N.W.A. and into his solo career, Dr. Dre founded a genre of music that reveled in violence, drugs and sex. But despite his scowling, street-thug image, the father of gangster rap grew up the model's son. Dre was raised to be responsible, a good student who was determined to escape the traps of the inner
4: city. I'm not the type of person that was going to get involved in any way in anything that was going to, you know, um, risk my freedom. Violence
2: surrounded Andre Young from the very beginning. When he was just six months old, racial tensions ignited the 1965 Watts riots. In this scarred landscape, Andre's teenage mother struggled to raise her son alone.
5: When I had Andre, I was only 16 years old. And I had a lot of things coming at me, you know, people telling me that I wasn't going to be nothing and my baby wasn't going to be nothing.
2: They lived in the gang-controlled city
4: of Compton. I grew up in, a, in an area where there was a lot of um, drug dealing and, you know, everything that comes with that, you know, a lot of violence. Determined not to
2: let her son become a statistic, Andre's mother created a refuge inside their apartment. With little money, their only escape from the bleak surroundings was music, sounds that left
4: a lasting impression on young Andre. My mother was, was big in the music, big in the early 70s funk.
5: The dramatics, the temptations, earth, wind, and fire.
4: Parliament Funkadelic and James Brown. Isaac Hayes, Marvin Gaye. This is the music that I grew up on, you know, and and I love her for that.
2: By age four, Andre was already sitting behind the turntable playing
4: DJ at his mother's parties. She would give me a little list, you know, and I would sit there and just play the records all night for them at their parties. You know, that's what I like to do.
5: He would be the little DJ. And before record players could go back and forth, you know, he destroyed a few of them. You know?
2: (laughs) His mother married and had two more children, a boy named Tyree and a little girl named Shamika. But when the marriage fell apart, a teenage Andre became the man of the house,
4: caring for his younger siblings while his mother worked. My brother was my best friend and we did everything together. Uh, He was... It's just a lot of fun to be around, you know, he walked in, the party got live.
2: With their mother's guidance, Dre and Tyree helped each other avoid the gang and drug culture that consumes so many of the neighborhood kids.
4: My mother was the biggest influence because she started teaching us about drugs at a very young age, you know, you know, showing us, you know, right from wrong. When he
2: was 15, Andre's mother saved enough money to give him a mixer for Christmas a DJ's
4: tool that allows two turntables to play at once. This was like the 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 ultimate thing to have, you know, you know, damn, a bike, <laughs> you know, I got a mixer.
5: And it was funny because he stayed in that bedroom all day long. He would not come out the room, try to get him to come out to eat. No, he wasn't hungry. And when I finally went in there later on that night, he had actually went to sleep with these headsets (laughs) on. The headsets are just blasting away.
2: By the time he was 18, Andre was good enough to DJ at a neighborhood club. He chose
4: the stage name Dr. Dre, a takeoff on basketball great Dr. J. That was the ultimate high for me, for me to be able to put a song on and have the crowd just start screaming. You see people putting their drinks down, running to the dance floor to party. Dr.
2: Dre's mastery of the turntables earned him an invitation to join the world-class wrecking crew, a local group with a smooth R&B sound and a glamorous stage presence.
4: I would put on, like, a shiny doctor's outfit with the theboscope and the whole thing and, and come up here and put on a show.
2: But by the age of 21, Dre was tired of the glitter and the sequins.
4: I wanted to go off and do my own thing, but I didn't have the money to do it, you know, so there were a couple of people that i knew that had the kind of money that it would take to do what i wanted to do and eric was one of those people
2: eric easy e wright was a childhood friend who had grown up to become a feared drug dealer in compton
4: he was a heavy guy at least in our neighborhood at least we all thought so
2: so with easy's money and dre's music they decided to form a new crew with a raw sound that reflected the streets they recruited the best local djs and rappers. And called themselves NWA.
4: Ren was going to be one of the um, the top MCs. He was going to be the front man. Cube, of course, was going to be another front man. Yella was good at the technical part, you know, figuring out how to hook things up, and also he was good at on the turntables. I'm the organizer, you know what I'm saying? The producer, just make sure to make sure everything that we're doing comes out right, and. Easy was supposed to be the wild one that would put on the glasses with one lens out or step up in the bulletproof vest. He was our, our character.
2: Easy came up with the cash to press the demo single, Boys in the Hood, and they sold copies out of the trunks of their cars. It became a big local hit and caught the attention of a well-known
6: manager. When I heard Boys in the Hood, I just felt it was the most important music that I had heard in in many, many years since the beginning of rock and roll. Jerry Heller had spent his career representing pop groups
2: like Styx and Journey, but he was fascinated by NWA's foul-mouthed street sensibility. Convinced he had found a diamond in the rough, Heller says he left his other clients and helped Eazy-E start up a label they called Ruthless Records. Nobody uh,
6: that I took the records to for the first nine or 10 months Every thought that, that this would get to the airplay.
2: Ultimately, Heller persuaded Priority Records to distribute N.W.A.'s first LP, Straight Outta Compton. The album introduced the world to the brutal realities of South Central Los Angeles, years before images of the Rodney King beating and the L.A. riots were seared into the American consciousness.
4: You know, we're not ashamed of where we're from, you know? You know, it's, it's crazy in Compton and it's ghetto, but this is where we're from. This is where we're born and raised, and this is what we're gonna talk about. For the first time with Straight Outta Compton, we had an album, and it's total, in my opinion, that just basically laid out, here's who we are, like it or not.
2: But in 1989, that vision was too raw for television. MTV refused to air the video Straight out of Compton, citing excessive violence.
1: Black music historically has always talked about sex
4: and violence going all the way back to Robert Johnson and the booze, but this was the most explicit it had ever been.
2: One cut in particular was a lightning rod. The police played like a call to arms, overtly threatening police officers. The lyrics sparked a firestorm of protest from law enforcement.
4: We caught the attention of, of the Federal Bureau of Investigation the
2: FBI took the extraordinary step of sending a letter to the record company accusing NWA of encouraging violence against police, pointing out that 78 law enforcement officers had been killed in the line of duty
6: in the previous year. It was very frightening to me, telling us that we're responsible for the deaths of law enforcement officers in the United States of America.
4: I never heard of anybody being able to kill somebody with a CD, you know what I'm saying? But the
2: controversy only helped to sell more records. Straight out of Compton broke into Billboard's top 40 without the benefit of mainstream radio play.
4: And I have to say, thanks to that FBI agent that wrote us that letter. You did a big service to us, and I really appreciate that letter you sent. You made us a lot of money. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but Dr. Dre wouldn't have long to savor his success because life would soon be imitating art. Just ahead, the brutality of the streets strikes close to home. And later, a run-in with a TV host earns Dre a violent reputation. When Behind the Music continues.
3: In the 1980s and 90s, New York City needed a tough cop like Detective Louis Scarcella. Putting
1: bad guys away. There's no feeling like it in the world. He was the guy who made sure the worst killers were brought to justice. That's one version. This guy is a piece of sh. Derek Hamilton was put away for murder
4: by Detective Scarcella.
3: In prison, Derek turned himself into the best jailhouse lawyer of his generation.
4: And the law was my girlfriend. This is my only way to freedom.
3: Derek. And other convicted murderers. Started a law firm behind bars.
4: We never knew we had the same cop in the case. It's Garcella. We gotta show that he's a corrupt cop. They can go f*** themselves.
3: I'm Steve Fishman. And I'm Dax Devlin-Ross. And this is The Burden Listen to new episodes of The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear episodes one week early and ad-free with exclusive bonus content, subscribe to True Crime Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts.
0: In the spring
2: of 1989, Dr. Dre and N.W.A. were riding a wave of success. Straight out of Compton was on its way to selling two million copies. The boys from the hood took their street show on tour and teenagers of all races couldn't get enough of their ghetto outrage.
3: Kids were fascinated and I was one of those people that I felt like I felt fascinated by. It, but at the same time, I felt like I could relate to it because
4: just their whole attitude, their whole rebellious type thing.
2: With N.W.A., Dr. Dre had found his ticket out of the ghetto, and no one was happier about Dre's success than his little brother, Tyree.
5: Tyree, he idolized him. He idolized it. if anything that Andre was into, wherever he was, if he was performing, Tyree was there. Yeah, you know, I saw this one video. He was right there in the front row with his little Compton hat on and just bobbing away, you know.
4: I can remember my first my first Mercedes, you know, I went and picked him up, you know what I'm saying? It was like, he came out the house like, what, we got a Benz in the family, you know? Yeah, he was really proud
5: of him. He showed
4: him that he was proud. They had a, a lovely relationship. You know, it was the big brother, little brother relationship. He used to always say, when you gonna, when you gonna put me on the record? Let me get down. I got, I got some, I got some shit I want to say.
2: As Dre left on tour with NWA in May of 1989, 21-year-old Tyree was settling down. He had a new job and planned to marry the mother of his young son. But on the night of June 25th, Tyree found himself in the wrong place at the wrong time as he walked out of a store in South Central
4: Los Angeles. He was coming coming across the street from a liquor store or something, and, and this guy in his car almost hit him. It was a group of guys in the car.
5: And he jumped out the way and said something like, watch out, you know, or something, and these guys got out the car.
4: These guys were pretty big guys, like, you know, 250-pound guys from what I hear. And they got into a fight, this and that, and. I guess they were fighting, and they fell. All of them fell, and my brother was at the bottom. My son was just a
5: little guy, but he threw him down on the ground, and it, and it broke his neck, and, and uh, it, uh... <laughs> he never gained conscious.
2: On the road that night, Dr. Dre's beeper started buzzing nonstop.
4: I remember getting these 911 pages and, you know, I never get 911 pages from home, you know, just back to back, 911 pages. He stopped at a payphone
2: to call home. His girlfriend answered,
4: distraught. She was, you know, screaming and crying and what have you and she just said, Tyree is dead, you know. it bugged me out, man. That was crazy. Super nuts.
2: Dre abandoned the tour and returned home for Tyree's funeral he couldn't believe the little brother he had grown up protecting was gone.
5: That was the first time I had seen him cry since he was a little, you know, a little bitty kid. Because Andre never shows, he never shows emotion. And when I saw him cry, it, that was the the hurt that was so, oh my, <laughs> I don't even wanna think about that, but.
4: It was just unbelievable, you, you know, know. I mean? I mean, this is my best friend, you know what I mean? It's like, yo, I just couldn't believe it, you know? It was, nah, this is, you know, he's going to be home in a minute. You know what I'm saying? It was just real hard to believe, you know? That was the biggest thing. That was the biggest thing that was going through my mind, just the disbelief.
2: In the summer of 1989, Dr. Dre was still reeling from the death of his brother Tyree, but when he returned to the N.W.A. tour, he was confronted with another crisis. Ice Cube was angry because he had reportedly received only $32,000 for his work on two platinum albums, Straight Outta Compton, and Easy Ease Easy Does It. Cube announced he was quitting
4: N.W.A. to start a solo career. We were looking at him, at the time, like, you know, you're turning your back on the group. But it turned out he was the smart one.
2: Cube's parting was bitter, but it didn't hurt record sales. N.W.A.'s 1991 release shot to number one on the Billboard pop chart, the first hardcore rap album ever to do so. The multi-platinum success of the group had upped the financial stakes. Now it was Dr. Dre who was unhappy with his share of the profits.
6: He wanted to renegotiate his deal with Easy E's Ruthless Records. He was being paid certainly according to his contract, but maybe wasn't being paid what his value had become. Despite their long-standing
2: friendship, Easy E refused to renegotiate with Gray or let him out of his contract.
4: That would have to say it was disappointing, you know, a childhood friend and, you know, Cube already left, you let him do that. Now, you're, you're turning your back on me, too.
2: So in early 1991, Dr. Dre decided to bring in some
6: muscle. Uh, I would say that, that once Suge Knight came on the scene, that it stopped being fun.
2: A former football player and bodyguard, Suge Knight stood six foot three inches tall
4: and weighed over 300 pounds. Real big guy, you know. and Had a presence, you know what I mean? When he came in, you know, he came in the room, he... He had a presence, something about him, you know.
2: Many believe Knight used his weight to persuade rapper Vanilla Ice to hand over a portion of the publishing proceeds from his hit, Ice Ice Baby. Shook denied allegations that he had physically threatened Vanilla Ice, but his reputation now preceded him, and Dr. Dre planned to make full use of it.
4: I thought he was competent enough to get to get business handled, you know what I'm saying? But
2: it was how Suge handled business that would become fodder for fear and litigation. According to a lawsuit filed by Eric Eazy E. Wright, Suge Knight confronted him in a record company conference room in April 1991. The complaint alleged that Suge was accompanied by men carrying baseball bats, pipes, and other weapons. Easy claimed that Suge threatened bodily harm and forced him to sign a release, allowing Dr. Dre out of his contract with Easy's Ruthless Records.
6: We had anticipated that something like that could happen, and it was something we had talked about before, and it did
2: happen. Shug Knight denied the allegations, and the lawsuit was settled out of court. Now, thanks to Suge, Dre was free from Ruthless Records. And he says he wasn't particularly concerned with how the job got done.
4: I looked at it like this. He got the releases. You know, that's how I looked at it. Let's move on, and let's make something happen. And that's exactly what they did.
0: Death Row Records is going to be the record company of the Put your hands together.
2: In February of 92, they threw a party to celebrate the creation of Death Row Records. The label would be run jointly by Dr. Dre and Suge Knight. Dre went to work on his solo debut. Suge focused on the business. But label insiders say Suge's aggressive tactics helped create an atmosphere at Death Row where brutality was common.
4: Shug was is like uh, a dog. Not to not to uh, to degrade him, but his mentality is somewhat like that. Meaning that if you show if you scared and you intimidated, well then you are probably gonna get smashed on. with Shug is like with Vegas. It's all a gamble.
2: <laughs> Dr. Dre says at the time he enjoyed the air of notoriety that surrounded Death Row, and he was developing a dangerous reputation of his own.
4: I think I started drinking too much. I was just at parties just wilding out, like they didn't care, man. We would just go into parties and push people around, just have fun. The once calm and responsible Andre Young
2: was turning into Dr. Dre, menace to society.
4: I was wild, the people around me were wild. There was nobody there to say, yo, we don't need to do that, that's not cool.
2: He had money, a big new house in the hills outside Los Angeles, and dozens of new
5: friends stroking his ego. You walk in here early in the morning and you're subject to walk over bodies just laying around <laughs> just wherever they could get, you know, just hanging out.
2: Dr. Dre had grown up avoiding trouble, but now he was seeking it out, and the law was about to catch up with him. In January of 1991, Dr. Dre ran into former friend and TV host Dee Barnes in a Hollywood nightclub.
7: He kept zigzagging and making his way towards me and I was like, nah, he's up to something.
2: He had been drinking and Barnes claims Dre was angry because his former bandmate Ice Cube had insulted N.W.A. on her show, Pump It Up. Barnes says Dre was furious about the broadcast and began arguing
7: with her. And then before I knew it, he grabbed me by my hair. Picks me up and starts slamming me into a brick wall. I'm all disoriented and I'm like You know, oh man, I can't believe Dre is doing this to me. I was thinking he's trying to kill me. I'm like wow
2: But Dr. Dre says Dee Barnes greatly
4: exaggerates the incident. We had some words went back and forth Got in my face this and that. I pushed her next thing. I know I'm on the news.
7: Dre assaulted her, grabbing her hair, slamming her face and body into a wall.
4: They said I threw her down a flight of stairs.
7: And kicking her in the ribs.
4: We did get into an argument, and I did push her and stuff like that, but it wasn't at all, you know, what the media made it out to be. Dr. Dre was arrested and pled guilty to battery.
2: Then D. Barnes filed a $22.7 million civil suit against him. It was
4: reportedly settled for a six-figure sum. I definitely regret putting my hands on her. If I had to go back and just relive that night, it definitely wouldn't have turned out the way it did. That was a major, major mistake for me. But
2: it didn't stop his reckless behavior. In May of 92, Dre was arrested for assault after a brawl in a New Orleans hotel. The next month, Dre was charged with assaulting a record producer during an argument in Los Angeles. Dre was convicted in both cases. He received probation, fines, and a 60-day house arrest. But having a tracking device locked to his ankle did little to curb his appetite for the wildlife. The
4: only thing I was getting was slaps on the wrists, and I thought I was just untouchable, you know what I mean?
2: His smug attitude took a direct hit when the invincible Dr. Dre got a harsh reminder of his own mortality. In August of 92, Dr. Dre and his entourage arrived for a party at a Los Angeles hotel. A rowdy crowd had gathered outside.
4: We were in front of the hotel in the parking lot, and a scuffle broke out. Dre see the pistol and started running. Yeah, y'all remember that? You remember this, Dre? He was running. Ah. Shots were fired.
6: Ah, ah, ah.
4: I didn't feel the bullet hit me or any of that. Somebody was like, I think it was dance. Like, oh, Dre, I think you hit. He saw the both of the back, both of my pants legs just bloody in the back, you know. So I looked back like, oh, damn, I'm hit, you know.
5: Oh,
0: oh. oh. oh he looked down. Oh.
4: That's a pain like you never, you never want to experience. Dr.
2: Dre underwent surgery to repair the bullet wounds to his legs. The police never discovered who shot him. And for the first time, Dre began thinking about changing his lifestyle.
4: That's when I decided, yo, I need to be inside the studio, man, (laughs) and that's it. Yeah, let me slow down. But Dr.
2: Dre apparently hadn't learned his lesson because his most serious troubles were still ahead. Coming up, L.A.'s finest catch up with Dr. Dre, and then incarceration leads to personal revelation when Behind the Music continues.
3: In the 1980s and 90s, New York City needed a tough cop like Detective Louis Scarcella. Putting bad
1: guys away, there's no feeling like it in the world. He was the guy who made sure the worst killers were brought to justice. That's one version. This guy is a piece of sh- Derek Hamilton was put away for murder
4: by Detective Scarcella.
3: In prison, Derek turned himself into the best jailhouse lawyer of his generation
4: and the law was my girlfriend. This is my only way to freedom.
3: Derek and other convicted murderers started a law firm behind bars.
4: We never knew we had the same cop in the case. It's We got to show that he's a corrupt cop. They can go f*** themselves.
3: I'm Steve Fishman. And I'm Dax Devlin-Ross. And this is The Burden. Listen to new episodes of The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear episodes one week early and ad-free with exclusive bonus content, subscribe to True Crime Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts.
2: By the end of 1992, Dr. Dre's self-destructive behavior was all too evident. He had
4: been shot and convicted of three violent crimes. I was on a road for, for failure, man. I was on a road to failure for real. But he
2: stayed out of trouble long enough to complete his first solo project, The Chronic. Dr. Dre fronted most of the songs on the record, but he also chose to spotlight up-and-coming artists, including a 20-year-old street rapper called Snoop Doggy Dogg. Everybody was so, you know, anxious to get in the studio with Dre because he was peaking at the time as far as producing,
3: and we were all the hungry, unseen, unheard talents.
2: Snoop's laid-back delivery was a perfect match for Dre's melodic, groove-driven tracks. The result was rap music with pop appeal.
1: We don't come pop. We come street and
3: make pop cross over the street. It dig? Dre was the first producer in hip-hop. To, to put melody in records. He made them songs.
2: The Chronic became a hip hop sensation, remaining in Billboard's top 10 for eight months, selling more than eight million copies.
5: It was the first record like that played on MTV during the day. It was a, you the know, first music like that on the cover of Rolling Stone. It was first time that music was played on top 40 radio.
2: For Dre, The Chronic was proof he could succeed without his rival, Eazy-E. And he devoted an entire song to mocking his old friend. He lampooned Eazy and manager Jerry Heller in the video for Dre Day. I'm glad you and I trust each other. You trust me, don't you?
4: Yeah, boss.
3: Oh, no, no. I work for you. I work for Sleazy-E. I wouldn't have it any other way. We're gonna make lots of money.
6: I know that Eazy was, was insulted and he was hurt. He and Dre were like brothers or more and i think that that easy felt that dre was 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 being fooled by guys like like shug knight
2: dre on the other hand was reveling in the success of the chronic it had made dre rich beyond his dreams and he had no trouble living up to the hedonistic image he had created
4: i was 80 percent dr and you know it's just our party partying just living it up cars jewelry
2: in early 1994, he bought a $190,000 Ferrari Testarossa and decided to break it in after a night of drinking in Hollywood.
4: Well, I decided I want to test it out on Wilshire Boulevard. You know, I'm just flying down Wilshire, you know, acting crazy. You know, I'm like at 140 miles an hour or something stupid like that.
2: The police spotted him and pursued him in a high-speed chase through Los Angeles. I
4: got to my garage and couldn't get in. Next thing I know, I'm surrounded. Show me your hands! Get out! Get out! Show me your hands! Like, alright. <laughs> I'm
2: caught. He pleaded no contest to drunk driving charges. Since it violated his probation, he was sentenced to a five-month work release program in the Pasadena, California
4: jail. Like I said when you when you get your freedom snatched from you, you know, a whole a whole lot of things come to light. You know you start looking at a lot of things different you know and that's what I did
2: a couple of months into his sentence Dre received another blow when a friend phoned him with some startling news
4: He was like you know easy's got AIDS I'm like know get out of here you know come on sure enough it was it was true
2: in early 1995 Dre's old friend had gone to the hospital after a violent coughing fit Doctors discovered EZE e had full-blown AIDS, even though he had no external symptoms. All Dre could think of was the angry feud he had waged with eazy after their split-up.
4: I felt like, yo, all the time, I mean, the couple of years that we spent mad at each other, it's nothing compared to the time that we spent together and had happy times.
2: Dre rushed to the hospital, hoping to talk to his friend one last time. He wanted to say his piece and put their feud to rest. But when he got there, Easy was unconscious and close to death.
4: You know, I went in there and I saw him. He looked he looked normal. You know what I'm saying? Look, just looked like he was asleep. But, you know, he's hooked up to this life support system and it's like, and eh, his chest is going up and down from this machine, you know, helping him breathe. I just looked at him, you know? I just looked at him and it was, it was crazy. And I can remember, like, the way everybody was looking, the way everybody looked, it was like, okay, it seemed like everybody just knew that he was gone.
2: Nine days later, on March 26, 1995, Eric Easy E. Wright died. He was just 31 years old. Dre was haunted by the fact that they missed their chance to reconcile.
4: Well, me and Easy, we practically grew up together. We grew up in the same neighborhood, you know, so... It was almost like losing a brother, you know? I felt bad that we, you know, didn't get to kick it and have more fun before he passed away. I think that changed Dre's life because he was so close to Easy, and they built this West Coast rap car. And to lose Easy, you
3: know, in a time where they wasn't cool, you know, I think that really hurt him and, you know, it really touched him and made him wanna leave death rowing you know, move on and do
4: his own thing.
2: The combined effect of five months in jail and the loss of his close friend brought Dr. Dre to a turning point.
4: It was totally me, just really sitting down, thinking about what's going on with my life, the people around me, you know. I I sat down and thought like, okay, I've got all these people around me. Um, how many of them do I really need,
2: you know? Dre was even questioning his future with Death Row, the label he spent years building. By late 95, his partner Suge Knight had been convicted of at least seven crimes, including assault with a deadly weapon. Dre was growing tired of Suge's roughshod style.
4: There's got to be some kind of rules and regulation going on in a place of business, or everything goes haywire.
2: The final straw came when Dre witnessed an unprovoked act of violence committed by a member of an artist's entourage.
4: If I had to put my finger on just one incident that made me want just, to just say I'm out, I would have to say when I um, saw an engineer get beat down <laughs> or we in the tape too far, you know. That's when I said, okay, this is not the place for me at all. In March of 1996,
2: Dre publicly announced he was leaving death row. That's when his future wife, Nicole, says
7: she was most worried. I was scared for him, because you never know. You know, when people are angry, and, you know, we're talking about money issues, business issues, anybody could pull out a gun at any time, you know, out of anger.
2: In May of 96, Dr. Dre says Suge Knight showed up on his doorstep with eight men, demanding the valuable master recordings of his music.
4: I don't fear nothing but God and the IRS, you know what I'm saying? That's it for me, so... I'm like, if something was gonna go down, it was gonna go down, period, whatever, you know? But turned out everything was cool, nothing happened, and we parted on a peaceful note.
2: Dre agreed to hand over the master recordings and Suge let him out of their partnership. Afterwards, Suge claimed Dre had left death row with nothing.
4: I don't have nothing against Dre. If Dre would choose to go ahead and start a new production company, yeah, my blessing. So be it. So be it. But Dre didn't get zero from death row to go move forward. That's very false. I mean, I definitely left. I definitely left with some money. I didn't leave with what I was supposed to, but I left with something that was a lot more value- valuable to me, and that was peace of mind.
2: And in the months following his departure, Dr. Dre stood back and watched as death row began to fall apart. On September 7th, 1996. Suge Knight and rap artist Tupac Shakur were gunned down in Las Vegas while they were riding in Suge's BMW. Suge recovered, but Tupac died five days later. The assailants were never caught, and for Dre, it was tragic confirmation that he had done the right thing by leaving death row.
4: I think, I really think my timing was was incredible because I always look at it like this, You know, I could have been in that car in Las Vegas. How about that? Just
2: five months after Tupac's killing, Death Row was dealt another blow.
0: Your prior record indicates one of violence. Uh, You are a danger to the community.
2: Suge Knight was sentenced to nine years in prison for violating his probation from a 1992 assault case. Where there was once a lucrative partnership,
4: only bitterness remains. It was a lot of salt dropped on my name it was a lot of accusations about me there was a whole bunch of nonsense that was said about me that i didn't think was cool so there is no relationship with me and him and there'll never be another one
2: in 1997 dr dre was putting his life back together suge knight was in prison and dre was free to form a new label he called aftermath his first release on that label was a compilation that included his own single, "Been There, Done That." It was his way of stepping back from the gangster rap image that had defined him for ten
4: years. It was just like a, um, a break away from what I was doing, a little sigh of relief, you know, just to get away from get away from it for a second, do something different.
2: Then in 1998, Dre played good angel to a devilish Eminem. On the song, Guilty Conscience, the godfather of gangster rap denounced violence. Dre's toned down public image reflected a newly found peace in his personal life. He had married his girlfriend, Nicole, and devoted himself to raising their two children.
4: I've calmed down like drastically. Yeah, she's definitely a major part of me, taking time out to smell the roses.
7: At home, he's pop. You know, he's not Dr. Dre, he's pop. And it is a completely different person.
2: In November 1999, Dre reunited with Snoop Dogg and released his much-anticipated follow-up to The Chronic.
4: The hardcore hip-hop is me, you know, I have to do that, you know. It's like breathing to me.
2: Dr. Dre 2001 plays like a personal manifesto, a proclamation of survival in an industry with a very short memory. Still Dre, but without a doubt, older and wiser.
3: Dre grew up, you know what I'm saying? I mean, his music is is, is more mature now, but it's still, it's still raw. In the beginning, he was more outgoing and, you know, just didn't give a f-. But as you get older, you have to change. You have to get wiser. You have to
2: get smarter.
7: My husband is an absolute survivor. No matter what obstacle comes in his way, the way he sees it, is there's a solution.
2: Dre has weathered a relentless barrage of professional adversity and personal tragedy, yet there's one loss that will forever haunt him, the violent death of his brother Tyree. Dre's only solace is his belief that the little brother he grew up protecting is now looking out for him.
5: Andre used to always tell me he had an angel watching over him. I mean, and his brother, you know, I, I'm not Nothing's gonna happen to me. I have an angel watching over me.
7: I honestly believe that he feels that Tyree has been here with him the entire time.
4: I do believe that because there has been situations that, you know, it seems like somebody almost talks to me and tells me, yo, don't turn left, turn right. You know what I'm saying? And I do that and everything has just been going perfect for me, Yeah? You know? straight up
2: so in a song called The Message Dre sends up a prayer for his little brother who was struck down on the streets of South Central a
4: decade ago and it's basically me kind of talking to or writing a letter to God you know it's like I'm talking to him asking him why did he have to why did he have to pick my brother to take and what have you it was a long life man. I mean you just never know so that was my question why him
7: you know, they're very close, and he misses him so much.
5: I know he is, you know,
4: looking at us smile, you know, looking at Dre smile. I have to say I found a new value for life, you know what I mean? You know, anything can happen at any time. That's why I'm trying to live mine to the fullest, you know. When I clock out, I'm going to be able to say I had a good one.
1: Despite a tumultuous career and personal life, Dr. Dre has firmly established himself as one of the most influential artists and producers of all time. Under his label, Aftermath Entertainment, he kick-started the careers of many other superstar musicians, including Snoop Dogg, Tupac, Eminem, Kendrick Lamar, and Anderson .Paak. In 2008, he debuted his Beats by Dr. Dre brand of headphones, adding yet another line to his long list of successes. With six Grammy Awards, multiple movie appearances, and the launch of a film production company, Dr. Dre's influence reaches far and wide. A true pioneer in the hip hop genre, the Prince of the Hood's creations have left an indelible mark on the music business.
3: Listen to Behind the Music on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Want more episodes? You can watch Remastered, Best of the Vault, and new episodes of Behind the Music only on Paramount+.